0: This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're going to hear an incredibly powerful story now from Oscar, who found happiness eventually, but struggled with drug addiction, homelessness and mental health problems.
1: How I identify is constantly evolving, really. But at the moment, I identify as a transmasculine, non-binary sexuality wise i pretty much identify as pansexual but i do tend to say i'm bisexual just for the ease of not having to have a long conversation about it
0: (laughs) fair enough so when you say um non-binary you're obviously dressing and looking very masculine today Mm. but does that mean some days you feel a bit more feminine or
1: i think it's important for people to realize whether they're Feeling in a particular way or not, that identity is really an internal thing, not necessarily how you how you look to other people. For me, a non-binary is is that uh, you see gender on a spectrum, which is basically how I've always thought of gender. And so, nobody is absolutely male or absolutely female. There's always. A mix of the two, and there's also the complication that that you know, gender is on some part also a uh, collection of ideas about how you look or react to other people. So um, I feel like me <laughs> a lot of the time. Sometimes I I feel more of the old me than I feel of the new me. I mean, it's very it's a very complicated question, basically. Also, like as I've gotten older. I, The idea that I am me in isolation to the world is a bit ridiculous. Mm. So, like, I am me in contact with people and situations at any given moment. So, my identity is as fluid as my gender.
0: And you've had quite a few coming out stories, haven't you, really? Yeah,
1: I've had a series of coming out stories. Mm. (laughs) So, initially, I came out as uh, a lesbian. As I was growing up, there was very little language or or information about identities other than heterosexual, binary gender identities.
0: And tell us where and when you were growing up.
1: Well, I was born in the 70s. uh, So I grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s (laughs) and still growing up. But I was born in the Midlands in in the UK. And then when I was about four, we moved to Trinidad in the West Indies, which is where my father's from.
0: Okay. And what was it like, uh, you know, spending your formative years and your childhood, really, in, in, the, in the Caribbean?
1: It was, in many ways, idyllic. It's a beautiful island, and it's possibly one of the few places in the world which really celebrates a mixed-race identity. Obviously, I'm mixed-race. Hmm. Uh, I'm many many different ethnicities and Trinidad is one of the few places I've been that genuinely celebrates that.
0: That's good but do they understand gay people because initially you were you were growing up as a woman and you came out as a lesbian how how did that feel?
1: Yeah I mean I didn't really come out until after I left Trinidad because I I was 11 when I left Mm. my mum brought us back to the UK I mean, I was just touching on the edges of it. So when I was in Trinidad, we started to have the first sort of stories coming out about the AIDS crisis. So I Mm. remember that happening. And that was probably the first time I'd ever really come into contact with the idea that, you know, a man could love a man and a woman could love a woman. It was a confusing and also exciting time because I was Starting to recognize something of myself in the stories of the people that I was hearing about, but also there is this like terrible thing happening, and essentially there's like lots of rhetoric about whether or not this was something that was supposed to happen, if it was a good thing, or mm. you know like did god punish god punishing gays that kind of stuff so
0: and was it was it quite a homophobic place then do you think
1: yeah well Trinidad um Been changing over the last few years. Mm. Like they had their first pride last year, two years ago. Great. The groups who are campaigning for rights, LGBT plus rights in that country are are very vocal and they're getting a lot of coverage. So that's Mm. very positive. Uh, But it is a very conservative religious country in the sense that there are lots of very vocal, strongly opinionated, mainly Christian groups. It's a hotbed of activity for Mormons and Seven Day Adventists and evangelical Christians who come to do their Missions
0: like missionary stuff.
1: Okay. So the kids are very like they're very active down there.
0: So what was it like going to school in Trinidad? Then it was uh, intense.
1: <laughs> Why? We have a very intense uh, educational program that pushes kids a lot. It was a difficult time mainly because I was uh, bullied a lot in school for being different. As they saw, I was a very masculine girl who hung around with boys and uh, didn't really do lots of girl stuff, which Made me uh, different. Did they call your names? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just like teasing. Girls would say things to make me feel like I didn't really fit in, or like wasn't doing girl right. Mm. <laughs> there were some physical moments, and but men mainly it was just like low-level humiliation, that kind of stuff. So, uh, and
0: you were sort of processing the fact that you thought you were gay. You thought you were a lesbian.
1: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, w- I knew I was different. I knew I wasn't acting the same way that girls acted, but also I, at that point, I hadn't really got the language for a lot of what I how I was identifying. So,
0: mm. so you weren't necessarily questioning your gender at that point, or were
1: you? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I was questioning my gender from from the time I was a child. Ah. Uh, so I I basically I thought I was a boy up until. Because as I started to hit primary school, I had to wear a dress because I was a girl. Um, And up until that point, I didn't have to. My mum has no real... She's not as strongly set in her gender roles Mm -hmm. either, so she... She identified herself as a tomboy. When she grew up, she wanted to be a cowboy. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds great. Yeah, she She She's brilliant.
0: How was it when you had to suddenly wear a dress then? I imagine that was horrific. It it was,
1: yeah. I wore shorts underneath my dresses quite Mm. often (laughs) as a way of, like, protecting myself. But, yeah, I hated it. And also, like, when I was teased for being in a dress, that was, like, even more upsetting because Mm. i was already vulnerable in a dress and then i was being made fun of because i was wearing a dress
0: and did you feel like you were just wearing the wrong clothes when you wore a dress yes
1: basically i
0: mean oscar you're just lucky you didn't have my mother because i didn't have a school uniform (laughs) and my mother invented this thing called dress tuesdays and she used to make me wear a dress on a tuesday do you know what i did run and hide yeah get up really early And then it would happen on a Wednesday. She's like, you didn't wear a dress yesterday. Got to wear one
1: today. I would would absolutely have. Yeah. I mean, I had to wear a dress as my school uniform. So I just sucked it up. That's what I did. Mm. I had to wear a dress for my first Holy Communion. That was horrific. I mean, I only wore it because my mum made it. But it was like, oh, that was a terrible, terrible time. And then I had one dress that i had to wear i think i was on my sixth birthday and i think that was probably the last time my mum made me wear a dress she made me wear it for my sixth birthday party and it it was like horrible so yeah that was the last time she made me do it outside of required (laughs) parameters i think
0: um and then when was the first time that you sort of expressed any of this because it it was your mum that you first came out to wasn't it yeah
1: in terms of sexuality I came out quite early so as I moved to um, the UK it was probably like 12 and she was you know okay with that She's like you're part of the family you know that's it's not, not going to change
0: and then what about your dad
1: my dad was okay um, about it uh, basically my mum told him I think it's quite amusing they probably don't but <laughs> <laughs> basically she she went with like Hard news, soft news. She um, basically was like, your daughter's addicted to drugs and she's a lesbian. And my dad was like, I don't care who she sleeps with as long as she gets off the drugs. (laughs) So that was really basically the the in and out of it.
0: Well, I'm glad you're laughing about it now, Oscar, but I'm guessing at the time that was quite stressful for you and your family about the addiction side of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I got into substance abuse at a very young age. I was um, just about 11, 12 years old. Yeah. yeah, I basically got into drugs when I came back to the UK. So I came back from what was a very strict, conservative school environment where you like stood when the teachers talked to you and when they mm. entered and left the room to a high school in a, one of the more challenging parts of London where kids would throw things at the teacher and tell them to piss off and that sort of stuff. So oh, it was God. it was a huge culture shock for me. Mm. And also, like, just coming into the UK with the levels of segregation and racism that existed compared to the country that i just come from, that was also a huge shock. But um, I came over, I made some friends, and uh, within the first sort of year, we'd started experimenting with drugs and stuff so looking back on it now I see that it was a way of me coping Mm. with what was going on uh, but it didn't it wasn't in any way helpful (laughs) to me so
0: what were you doing then if you don't mind me asking
1: the short answer to that is whatever I could get my hands on (laughs) I guess in terms of long-term use consistent long-term use it was mainly uh, pot but um there were also other drugs or substances because they weren't all drugs <laughs> mm. um involved in that usage through from about uh, up until the age of about thirty uh, when I decided I, I just couldn't do this anymore, where I was just using stuff to to numb and cope with what was going on
0: so were you drinking as well? then?
1: No, I'm not a fan of alcohol. I have mm. to say <laughs> I'm really lucky that way mm. i don't I don't really drink
0: so what was it eventually made you think? I can't live like this anymore.
1: I'd been homeless a couple of times and I was staying at my ex's flat. She'd got a place. And I'd just spent a year with a sort of extreme kind of agoraphobia. I'd been really depressed. I'd lots, had lots of mental health issues. And I'd spent about a year on the sofa refusing to leave the flat. And I was basically waiting to die at that point. And, um, and I just had this moment where I, I asked myself really honestly you know if you were going to die right now would you just would you just let yourself go and the answer was no i would try and stay alive mm. and so i thought well if that's true if i really want to live then i should just kind of try and do that (laughs) and that was the start of a very long journey out of uh, mental health and abuse issues drug abuse issues
0: and you think all of that was because you were struggling with your sexuality or your gender identity or both
1: Um, my sexuality was never really an issue for me I always saw that as a soft uh, a soft way out Mm. Um, my gender identity I struggled with a lot more Mm. the first time I tried to broach the subject with my mum my mum is usually the person I talk to. My dad's not very like conversational. Mm. I'd just seen a documentary about a trans guy who was going to Amsterdam for the first sort of surgeries that they were offering female to male people. And um, I was just like, wow, that's me, you know. And uh, I Tried to tell my mum and she was she was a bit freaked out by it. She was a bit scared by it. I remember her saying, what, what kind of life are you going to have? And I was like so affected by her reaction that I just backtracked and kept that a secret. Which I'd been doing anyway pretty much my whole life. And so I just went back to being a lesbian for um, about... 30 years? No, 20 years. So, like, I came out again at 35. Wow,
0: 20 years of... trying to
1: be a lesbian you're not a very good lesbian Oscar (laughs) I had my moments (laughs) (laughs) I probably would have been a good lesbian if I wanted to be one if I'd wanted to stay that way I mean you know like there's a certain amount of kudos that comes with being a butch woman there is a definite like market of attraction that (laughs) that people you know women find that attractive and I, I was like Hot property. Nice. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't able to sort of engage with it as much maybe to have taken advantage of that. But You
0: had girlfriends?
1: Yeah, I had girlfriends.
0: Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure.
1: So I, I may have been a good lesbian.
0: So was she disapproving? Or was she more like worried about how other people would accept your thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, she was totally worried. I mean, as as a young person, I read that reaction that she had as her mm. being... Not disapproving, but just afraid of what that Mm. meant, if it was true. And obviously, when you see your parents afraid, that's quite an affecting thing Mm. as a child. Our relationship has (laughs) just become really... Really amazing in the last couple of years and and so i 've had this conversation with her about when I first came out a lot of it she doesn 't remember I think I basically said I thought you were ashamed of me and uh, she just said no i 'm really proud of you you just i 'm just amazed at what you 've done with your life and that you 've managed to overcome all of these things um, it was
0: almost like she you thought she was sort of disapproving but she she was doing it from a point of Caring about you, I guess, wasn't she? But you didn't see that as yeah. a young person.
1: Absolutely. I think I think what she was was scared. Uh, mm. She just didn't know what to do because, you know, at, at that point, I mean, I'm like, I was 15, so it was...
0: Gosh, that's early on then. So came out as a lesbian at 13 and then as being trans at 15. That's early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, mm. that, was, that was 88 when I came mm. out when I was 15. So literally the idea that the female-to-male transsexuals existed was a complete sort of new thing Mm. Um, and the only role model I had at that point was um, someone called Buck Angel Mm. who was at the time a porn star. He's Mm. he's moved away from porn into education and sexual health and that sort of stuff but he was really the only person I ever saw who was like what I was thinking I was so Mm. her sort of reaction was probably just oh my god what am I gonna do now you know what I needed at that point as a child was just for my parents to go okay that's fine let's get on with it you know but I mean really from the time and what was available to her, you know, at the time she was a single mom putting herself through university with three kids, like that extra layer <laughs> must That's, have been... Quite a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm. I think if, I, if I'd come out today as a young person, I have much more available to me as a way of mm. models, seeing myself out there to know that that what I was experiencing wasn't some kind of like me going insane a lot of my journey was coming to the realization that I wasn't making this up it was Mm. real and that I needed to do something about it because that was why it was affecting me
0: so at (laughs) what stage did you think right I'm ready to confront this and come out and and transition
2: yeah
1: so once I started to deal with my substance abuse issues Mm. I started to really start to pay attention to the things that were causing me pain and that I, would try, I was trying to deal with mm. um, in that way. One of the things that just kept coming up was this idea or this feeling or this experience of being male and being identified as female was like deeply painful to me. Mm. So... I needed to just stop telling myself that I was crazy and start doing something about it. And so that's that was kind of the step. That was about five years into, so 35, I was around 35, about okay. 10 years ago. So did you have therapy? Not at that point. No. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone take this route. But um, I basically used... Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation practices. Mm. I'd started going to regular classes and they helped me to build a kind of internal stability that allowed me to keep moving forward. And then eventually I came across a charity that did personal development trainings which Mm. were kind of like therapy but they helped me to sort of mainly step away from this idea that I was crazy and allowed me to it had a process that allowed me to to be able to discern what was reality and what I was making up
0: Mm. so it's interesting through doing this podcast actually a lot of the coming out process is people coming to terms with stuff themselves and and that Mm. sounds like exactly what you were doing really you have to come out to yourself first and and tell yourself you're not crazy you are this
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, you don't see yourself. Visibility is a hugely important thing, not just for young people who are beginning their journey, but also for people who are in their journey or have been there for a long time because we can't understand ourselves out of relation to anyone else. When we hear other people's stories, we connect with something that they have to say because it already exists in us. Mm. Um, and by sharing those stories, we start to understand ourselves better.
0: Although a lot of trans people want to go under the radar, don't they? They don't want people to know that their past as a different gender at all. Can you respect that as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's a very difficult and complicated subject i mean the first thing to realize is that everyone's trans experience is different Mm. so my experience as a trans person is completely different to somebody who might look just like me Mm. (laughs) Um, and that is is sort of a, a bit of a head fuck for everybody involved who's not in that experience. Mm. Even me, sometimes I make assumptions about other trans people. I talked to a friend of mine, and they basically said the problem is not that you are in the wrong body or you have problems with your gender. The problem is that society doesn't have the scope to to understand your experience, and so they make us wrong. Our experience of gender as trans people, or my experience as gender of gender as a trans person, is incredibly unique in the sense that I am not attaching my, my deep identity to that gender. Now, other people who are trans really identify with their gender. They're very binary. And they don't want to be reminded of a time when they were traumatized continually by being identified in the wrong way. I mean, if you go to a toddler a little toddler girl mm-hmm. or a little toddler boy, and you go, oh, that's a really sweet little boy when it's a girl, and just watch how they react to that. Mm. Now, that is what's happening inside of a trans person every time you misgender them
0: mm.
1: because they are just trying to keep that contained in order to function in society
0: you know. So when you were, you know, you've gone through the processing and you've got off the drugs. What was the process like for you in terms of coming out and having that conversation again with your mum, but years later? <laughs> that was a
1: <laughs> there. There were a, a series of conversations, uh, mm. and it's an ongoing yeah. conversation actually with my family because we don't live very close to each other so they moved a lot of my family moved back to Trinidad I stayed here obviously because it's safer for me
2: Mm.
1: and so they don't see me every day they don't have a physical presence of me and so there was a lot of time that we spent just with what you would think of as basic things like them getting used to the fact that I was not the same person you know for them they're like oh my god this one day you're like you and the next day you're telling me you're someone completely different for me i'd had a 35 year journey Mm, mm. which i'd done in secret so they had no insight into that
0: and i presume at some point you changed your name and they had to do that overnight didn't they call you something different exactly
1: yeah? yeah so they had to deal with Pronouns and um, different names, and I mean, they, I'm still still working with them on that. You know, different members of my family, depending on how close we are, have different ways of ways of processing that. Mm. And so, like my mum, who I speak to the most and have my cl- have the closest relationship with, she's very much more in touch with what I'm doing or how I'm being than, say, my dad, who I very rarely speak to because he isn't a very verbal person. Mm. um so he still calls me by my old name and still uses my female pronoun but that's like in my world not in everybody else's world in my world I allow that because they're the people who've spent their lives with me
0: but then how long have you lived as Oscar
1: I've been Oscar now for about eight years
0: eight years is a long time to be misgendered though right
1: well, I've been misgendered my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And I mean, the 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 thing is as well is like my gender is not as easy as he or she, mm. you know. My gender is um, some days I wake up and I'm, I don't feel like anything or mm-hmm. some days I feel that I wake up and I like remember an older gender or mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's not as easy as that. It's just that when people say he, I don't feel that kind of visceral pain mm. when someone calls me she. And I can't explain that. There's no logic to it. It's just the reality of my experience. Mm. My family, I give them a special dispensation.
2: Mm.
1: And I do that because they have, in the best way that they can, held me as part of their family their whole lives without mm. any kind of exceptions. That's through being gay. That's through being a drug addict. That's through being homeless. That's through generally being a massive fuck-up for a really long time. And if I can't afford some patience and compassion to them, while they come into ter- come to terms with my own identity, the external factors of that. Because uh, the reality is, is they haven't said, oh, I never want to speak to you again. You're not part of my family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Every single one of them has said, I don't care what you are. You are part of this family. So if they misgender me, <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, this mm. is tough, but I'm not going to... I think
0: that's a great way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, well, mm. I mean, ultimately, you know, unconditional love has to go both ways. And I mean, it's not without difficult conversations about misgendering. Like the first time I went back to Trinidad, in my masculine body, I had to say to my mum and my sister, look, we can't do misgendering in public. Mm. It's going to be a safety issue for me, mm-hmm. and they hadn't really connected with that, you know. So they were like, "Oh yeah, we do have to really be serious about this." Mm-hmm. So it's like me explaining to them why it's important, uh, not just like you have to do this.
0: Uh, the thing about being part of the LGBT community as well as you kind of constantly coming out. So mm-hmm. this is something that you know, obviously the family thing is one thing, but. What experience do you have of like coming out to potential partners or, or coming out at work? Is that something that you're continually doing as well?
1: I did it a lot more when I was younger.
2: Mm.
1: I do it a lot less now I'm older. I kind of take the view that, particularly with my trans identity, that mm-hmm. unless you are going to get into my pants, mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in coming out to you.
0: No. But so, what do you do with people that you want to get in their pants or vice versa?
1: Well, I'm very upfront about it. Yeah. Um, it's not that I hide my trans identity either. Like, mm. I mean, we're, it's really difficult as a trans person. You kind of squashed between this having to come out because if you don't, you're a dishonest and deceitful person who's tricking people mm. and uh, not having to come out because in what other situation are you expected to divulge intimate details of yourself yeah. within the first 10 minutes of meeting a complete stranger? Mm. You know, it's like, at least give me time to work out if this person will respect me mm. before I tell them something that's deeply personal. If I meet somebody and there's like some interest and a connection, then uh, I will very quickly tell that person that I'm trans mm-hmm. because I am not the kind of person who's interested in being deceitful. And and again, that's a projection on me. That's not really how I'm being. Mm. And. Generally, most people don't care <laughs> if, they're, if they're interested in me. I've, uh, that's the continual surprise for me is that most people just don't mm. really care.
0: So you're saying people there, are you attracted to men and women?
1: Yes. <laughs> again, that's like. I was
0: say, if you are dating women, you are technically a straight man, aren't you? Like, yes. Does that feel weird?
1: Well, I don't. I don't, don't really date women. It. I mean, I am uh, again. Sexuality is a discovery as much as my gender identity, and I really got over the last year that gender identity and sexuality are different because I am mm-hmm. more attracted to men now than I am to women. Oh, okay. So it's like I was gay as a woman, and I am gay as a man. So, oh
0: well, you've done everything, Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> you've been a lesbian and a gay man. This is amazing
1: <laughs> yeah well i kind of, I kind of label myself as a pansexual because yeah. I really I'm really attracted to people. I do tend to be attracted to people who are on the more masculine side, mm-hmm. so that's androgynous masculine women, and generally most men i I don't really find any particular look unattractive. But mm-hmm. I do find myself more intimidated by hyper feminine women. Mm-hmm. So I just and that was something that I felt intimidated by as a as a female mm. identified person. Mm-hmm. So that has not changed. I'm more attracted to men, but I think also there's potential that that is an exploration thing as well, and it'll all kind of balance out in the end and I'll mm. just be back to being attracted to whoever's attractive
0: <laughs> mm. So are you in a relationship at the moment?
1: no, mm. I'm not really not um looking. looking no i'm mm. I had a long term relationship before I moved up to Manchester, and that was a very healing and deep relationship but then the breakup was very affecting and so what i got from that is that i wanted to really work on the relationship i had with myself
0: gosh it sounds like you've been through almost everything in terms of sexuality and gender identity i like to end the podcast with advice to to other people particularly Mm -hmm. people that haven't necessarily come out yet But, I mean, there's so much to go at from from your answer, Oscar, but I don't know where to start, really. But what advice would you give to a young person struggling with their gender identity or even sexuality? That is
1: a really difficult question. I think the really important thing to understand, and sometimes that can take years, is that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. And that this journey, whether you like it or not, requires patience. Uh, Mm. And as you allow yourself to accept yourself... More is revealed in that. So it's, it's, not a, it's not something that happens very quickly. But what you need more than anything else is to love and accept yourself. Because when you can do that, then the pain of other people's difficulties um, is, is less affecting. And you can see what you need to do for yourself.
0: So work on yourself first.
1: Yeah, just just loving yourself is really, it's not easy to do. um, Mm. And it's often thrown away quite flippantly. Mm. uh, But it's quite a, a rich journey once you start to get into it.
0: A massive thank you to Oscar for being so open and sharing his unique story with us. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell. And coming out stories is a what goes on media production. Next episode, you'll hear from the poet, comedian, and theatre maker Jackie Hagan. She identifies as bisexual or queer, and I think it's fair to say she had a very unique answer to the question of her first childhood crushes. My first crush was multiple, it was on. Do you remember Lindsay Sardi? yeah like um, page three girl underwear <laughs> was, model yeah yeah underwear model glamour model glamour model yeah. um and rambo you know rambo oh, the actual, character actual, yeah, actual, <laughs> rambo. actual rambo yeah okay yeah. and boy george so take that kinsey